Am I suitably audible? Yep, excellent. So as Tom said, uh, my name is Paloma Vince for the next five weeks, and then I become Paloma Lee when I marry my, my gorgeous fiancé, which is very exciting. And it's a pleasure to be here preaching this morning. As I start, I'd like to introduce you all to a relative, a relatively recent obsession in my life. And this obsession is with a genre of films that I like to call survival movies. Now, I'm curious to see if anyone else shares my passion for survival movies. So I brought a few along with me. Um, just as a quick show of hands, has anybody heard of the film 127 Hours? So hands up if you've heard of 127 Hours. And then this will separate the wheat from the chaff. Hands down if you've not seen it. Keep your hands up if you have sat through 127 Hours. Yeah, it's quite an intense one. And then uh, perhaps a slightly more niche film, Daniel Radcliffe in a film called Jungle. Anybody heard of that film before? I think my fiancé's watched it with me, so your hand should be up. <laughs> um, but yes, that's another one of my uh, top three survival movies. And then my, my favourite survival movie of all time, Alive. Hands up, anybody heard of Alive? A few more. And anyone seen the film Alive? Again, brilliant movie. Happy to lend those to anyone after the service. For those of you who haven't seen any of those survival movies, I can describe the plotline of all of them to you in one go. There's a protagonist doing some sort of activity. Sometimes it's something dangerous, like climbing a mountain or exploring the jungle. Sometimes it's a fairly normal activity, like taking a plane journey. Then something goes wrong. The equipment fails, the plane crashes. And at first, the protagonist is confident that help will come and they'll be fine. But then time passes and help doesn't come. So at this point, panic sets in. They start to think, oh no, I'm not going to survive. I'm going to be stuck on this mountain forever. And at this point, they have to make some rather unsavory decisions. And anyone who's seen 127 hours or alive will know what I'm talking about. They're desperate, desperate to survive. And so they fight, fight in desperation against all of the odds. And finally, and finally, help comes. The reason I love survival movies is because of that and finally moment at the end. After 90 minutes of desperation and struggle, which I'm sure is a feeling very familiar to Tom as a West Ham supporter, <laughs> hope finally comes. Salvation comes to our protagonist. I'll offer one quick caveat to my, um, my new obsession, which is I won't watch a survival movie without the assurance that the protagonist will actually survive. Because in my books, it's not a survival movie if they don't survive. Our story from Luke's Gospel today reads a little bit like a survival movie. The protagonist, the widow, is going about her daily life. But she's struck by tragedy. She's left widowed and finds herself being denied rightful justice. Perhaps at first she stays calm and she thinks, I know, I'll reach out to the judge, surely he will help me. But he doesn't. He doesn't care about justice. Help doesn't come. So panic sets in. She's desperate for justice. So in that desperation, she makes a decision to fight against all the odds to bother that judge to hound him every day until he grants her justice. And finally, 
And finally, he relents. She is granted the justice she so desperately needs. That is the kind of survival movie I would happily watch because there is an and finally moment. Jesus gives us the assurance, the 100% guarantee that there will be an and finally moment. The reality is that to perhaps a slightly less dramatic extent, we all live in a survival movie. Perhaps it's not a case of life and death, but we live in a broken world where it's all too easy to find examples of injustice. But because of God, we have the most powerful survival tool in our arsenal. We have prayer. And the most important thing Jesus wants us to take away from this passage is what it says in verse 1, that we should always pray, we should keep praying and never give up. And if we keep praying and never give up, we will see the end finally moment. So I want to draw on um, three short lessons from this passage and what it teaches us about prayer and then how we can apply that to our lives. The first is that this passage teaches us the most important thing, well, the, the important thing is who we're praying to. Secondly, I'll look at the fact that prayer doesn't have to be perfect. And finally, that, that key point from Jesus, that we should always pray and never give up. Let me say a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for this passage. Pray that you would speak to us through it now and that you would use my words to um, do your will in all of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So my first point, prayer is all about who we're praying to. In this parable, Jesus sets prayer in the context of a relationship, the relationship between the widow and the judge. Widows in first century Israel were in a very precarious economic position. When a husband passed away, a widow would go and live with her eldest son. If she didn't have a son to live with, she was left on her own. She was in trouble. As a result of this, the Old Testament is full of specific commands for the people of Israel to look after widows and make sure that their needs are provided for. Now, clearly, the widow in our story isn't being looked after because she's been denied justice and is being oppressed. Perhaps, in a way, we can relate to being that widow. Maybe we can think of examples where we've been denied what's rightfully ours, where we've not been looked after as we should be. Then we have the judge. Verse 2 tells us that the judge neither feared God nor cared what people thought. He was terrible at his job, had no moral compass. Jesus is using an analogy of contrast to tell us about God's character. He gives us this example of a terrible, unjust judge who actually granted justice to make the point that how much more will God, who is good and perfect and just and compassionate, how much more will God grant us justice when we pray and never give up? That's what Jesus calls us to, to pray, always pray and never give up. And we see this type of analogy elsewhere in the Gospels when Jesus talks about giving gifts to your children. He says, humans who are imperfect give good gifts to their children. How much more will a perfect God give good gifts to his children when they ask? The important thing about prayer is the relationship we have with the person we're praying to. Verse 7 tells us that we're God's chosen ones. 
We know, the Bible tells us over and over again, that we are loved by God, each and every one of us. And he sent Jesus to die in our place so that we could be forgiven for all the mistakes we've made. And so that we could be accepted and have a relationship with that perfect God. And prayer is about talking to that God. As Tom said, 51% of the population have prayed at some point or pray regularly. And God loves that. Whatever stage of our life or journey with him or however we feel about the world, God loves it when we pray to him. And the most important thing when we start praying is to know who we're praying to. There's a trap that I sometimes fall into. I'm sure I'm not the only one, which is I sometimes treat prayer as more about the answer than the one who answers or more about the gift than the one who gives. But the challenge for us is to focus on the one that we're praying to, to that good God who loves us. So on to my second point, that prayer doesn't have to be perfect. Verse 7, where we're called God's chosen ones, it talks about us crying out day and night, crying out day and night. Now this is a phrase that crops up throughout the Bible, particularly in the book of Psalms, which are poetry books written by different people. Psalm 22, for example, which is often seen as a prophecy of of when Jesus was crucified on the cross. The first few verses say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. In a couple of verses from Psalm 55, it says, As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me, evening morning and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. It's incredibly beautiful that as the Psalms show, we can be totally real with God. We can get angry at God if we need to. We can cry out to him. They're visceral interactions with God. They're messy. Just like the widow's interactions with the judge. The judge talks about being afraid that she'll come and attack him. With God, we can go in complete honesty exactly how we're feeling. Prayer is not about being prim and proper and dignified. It's about being honest with the God who loves us. For anyone who was here last week, we had a sermon on the parable of the prodigal son. And after the son had had rebelled and gone away and then decided to come back to the father, the father ran out to meet him. And it says, even when he was a long way off, The father ran to him. And that's what it's like with prayer, that when we come to God, he runs to meet us. I wanted to share um, a few quick examples of of times in my life where prayer has been very desperate and messy and it hasn't looked perfect. Um, Last year, I was um, struggling with anxiety and depression. And there were times where I found it really hard to say nice rehearsed prayers to God because I was just in a place of pain. And in that time, I realized that I could come to God and just say how I felt. I could come like the psalmist and say, this sucks, this hurts. And God loves and delights in that prayer. And God met with me in suffering. Or a a slightly more lighthearted example that had a very happy ending, as as did um, recovery from mental health. But um, about 24 hours before going to um, America on a holiday, I discovered I'd made um, a mistake on my visa that meant it was invalid. And it can take up to three days to get a new one. 
and I was completely panicked. I felt I'd let my whole family down, and I was desperately praying, not in a nice, clean, rehearsed way. I was really angry at myself and pretty angry at God for letting it happen. And I just prayed and prayed every moment, morning, night. And I think about 2 a.m. in the morning, my new visa came through, and I was able to go. And God didn't ask for that prayer to look a certain way. He met me where I was. After this passage in Luke, Jesus gives us more clues about what prayer looks like. He tells the story of of two people, one who stands up and says, oh God, isn't it brilliant that I'm not like those sinners? And then the second man who says, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes. And Jesus tells us that God doesn't care about the first man's prayer. He cares about the second man's prayer. He accepts that because that man comes in honesty and humility. This passage shows us that prayer isn't about saying the right words or doing the right thing. It's about coming as we are and coming persistently, always praying and never giving up. So that is my my third and final point, that we should always pray and never give up. It's not often that in one of Jesus' parables we get a really clear message about what he wants to teach us, which makes my life as a preacher slightly easier. We should always pray and never give up. That says that right there in verse 1. But it would be slightly amiss to talk about the topic of prayer without touching on the topic of unanswered prayer. Now, I'm sure for every one of us here, we've had experience of prayer that hasn't been answered and, and the pain that's associated with that. But as I said at the beginning, we can have full confidence with God that there will be an and finally moment. The Bible tells us explicitly so. Our lives are like survival movies and we know that God will win, that good will prevail over evil, justice over injustice. And God gives us this assurance on two levels. The first, we know that ultimately when Jesus returns, there will be ultimate justice. He will establish a new heaven and a new earth and wipe out injustice forever. And then we know in the meantime, we can have full confidence that our prayers are heard by God. In James, the book of James, chapter 5, we're told that as Christians, our prayers are powerful and effective. What an incredible thing to be told. And Jesus elsewhere tells us, whenever we pray for in his name, will be done. We know that if we keep praying, we will sometimes see our prayers answered and we know ultimately his justice will prevail when he returns. I want to be explicitly clear about one thing though. Whether or not our prayers are answered in the here and now is not a verdict by God on our faith. I'll say that again. Whether or not our prayers are answered is not God's verdict on our faith. That last question in verse 8, Jesus asks, is when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What faith is he looking for? He's looking for us to be persistently praying like the widow. He's looking for us to always pray and never give up. The test of our faith is not whether God answers all our prayers. It's whether we're still asking them. Do we believe that he really will come through? So that's the challenge to us in our lives, to always pray and never give up. I just want to share a quick 
example that I've taken deep inspiration from, from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. We have these three characters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are living under the unjust rule of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And they're about to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And they say to the king, our God is able to protect us. And even if he doesn't, we won't stop believing in him. It says in Daniel, even if he does not, we want you to know we will not serve your gods. We will not give up on our God, the true God. Our God can answer prayer. Our God will answer prayer. And even if he does, we won't stop praying and we will never give up. So will the son of man find faith on the earth when he comes back? Yes, yes, he will. If we keep praying and never give up. So what does this mean for us? What do we take away from today? Well, there may be some of us here today who haven't tried prayer before, not part of the the 51% who pray. And if that's you, I would really encourage you to try praying today. It's much easier than you might think. And just remember, it's about who you're praying to, to a good father who knows you and loves you and runs to meet you. And prayer doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to say the right words or do the right thing. It's about you having an honest conversation with your father in heaven. And for those of us who have prayed before, maybe we fall into one of these categories and we'll have a chance to respond shortly. Maybe we've forgotten who we're praying to. Perhaps like me, you sometimes focus more on the answer to prayer than the one who answers, more on the gift than the giver. In which case, we have an opportunity to reflect on who it is we're praying to, remembering that relationship we have with God. Or maybe we are in the trap of thinking that prayer has to be perfect. We have to say the right things. But what a great reminder in this passage and in the Psalms that we can come to God in complete honesty. And we can just have a simple conversation with him. We can tell him what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what's worrying us, what we're excited about. Or if you're in a place of of difficulty, we can use the Psalms as a prompt. We can cry out to God like like I did when I was struggling with mental health and say, God, this hurts. And God God loves it when when we choose to talk to him about that. Or maybe you've been praying for something for a long time and frankly nothing's happened yet. I want to remind you that that's not a reflection on you or your faith. And we can have an opportunity to ask God to give us a fresh sense of desperation, a fresh persistence so that we can keep praying. There's a a beautiful worship song by the band Rend Collective which says, I'm desperate for a desperate heart. So perhaps we don't feel desperate in our prayer life at the moment, but we can be desperate to be desperate and we can ask God to do that. And God will give us that desire to pray. To close, I just want to read out um, some of the taglines from my beloved survival movies. So I think these are brilliant. So 127 hours, the, the tagline is a triumphant true story. For a live also excellent film. It's the true story of a triumph of the human spirit. And for the jungle, it's an incredible true story of survival. Now, in our lives, we have a choice about what our tagline, the tagline of our lives, will read. And if we choose to follow Jesus's 
instruction in this passage and persistently pray and never give up and trust him, then the tagline of our lives could be a triumphant true story of God's victory. Amen. Thank you, Paloma. As the band uh, make their way 